So, we did lesson one a couple weeks ago, and uh, I wanted to do the second part of this, essentially, as we had talked about, uh, just doing sort of a little training time on um, doing Bible lessons. Now, this time, I didn't use any sort of a, of a lead-in like I did last time. I uh, started with that question last time, and, you know, just it, sort of getting into the main topic of the lesson. But here I'm going to do instead a review. So um, depending on the types of lessons that you're doing, reviews are things that can be helpful, um, especially if the lesson is connected to the previous one. So uh, you want to sort of bring up those, you know, the point of review is not to teach the whole previous lesson, but just just to maybe remind of some things that need to be for, you know, this lesson and so on. So, in the last lesson, I introduced our three-step method of developing a Bible lesson. And number one of that step was to begin with the goals for the lesson. And number two, then, would be that you study the passage that you're going to teach. And number three, then, would be you finish the lesson. That's where you're going to bring everything together, all right? So three, three easy steps. Um, we want to start our teaching with, with a couple of pre-commitments. In other words, as we approach, we're going to teach the Bible. We want to have some things prior to that, and that is number one commitment is that Scripture is the Word of God, and we talked about a number of things that that's going to mean. Um, the second commitment would be that we want to communicate clearly. So if we're going to teach the Bible, we want to know what God has said, and we want to communicate that clearly to whoever it is that we are teaching. Now, we talked about um, beginning with goals for the lesson, sort of as a, as a starting point, and divided those into two categories. The first of those was the setting, so that would be um, things like the location, uh, where you're going to be teaching, um, what time constraints, you, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, uh, something less than that whatever, that, whatever it is, the makeup of the class, who, who it is that you're teaching, is it a variety, is it a certain age group, um, whatever, those kind of things. So you want to you know that. You want to know who you're going to be um, talking to because it is going to affect when you bring it all together, how you're going to present this material. Um, the second category was that of the effect. And talking about the effect is, what's the desired result for your lesson? What is it that you're hoping to achieve? And essentially, from having a commitment to Scripture as being God's Word, uh, our goals are going to be to evangelize, to instruct, to correct, and to equip. And so, obviously, we will be, t we'll be planning on teaching um, a, a variety in terms of perhaps spiritual condition, saved and lost, and, and, and so on. All right, so in this lesson, we're wanting to go on now to that next step. So we covered that first step of our three-step system, and we're going to go to that next step, which is to study the passage. And this, of course, is the real core of the work in preparing a lesson. You've got to know what the passage teaches before you teach it to someone else. So starting this, you have, first of all, you're going to choose whatever it is that you're going to teach. And um, obviously, the setting is going to come into play in choosing what you're going to teach, um, you know, depending on, you know, is this a, a class of seminary students or uh, you know what, what is this? What is this class? What is it that you're going to teach? That's that's going to have some effect on what it is that you're going to choose to teach. Um, whether or not you're going to be teaching what's just going to sort of be a one-off, standalone type of lesson, uh, are you going to be teaching at some sort of regular interval, weekly, monthly? Uh, is it just occasional? Whatever. Um, are you going to be teaching a series of, of lessons and so on? So all, all those. Um, considerations are going to affect what it is that you choose to teach and how that you go about that. Are you going to be using some sort of pre-written 
um, curriculum. Um, you know, that's that could be uh, like some sort of Sunday school material or if you're using a, a book as a basis of a study or whatever, um, then a lot of those things are going to be involved. Now, obviously, when you're teaching, say, Sunday school and particularly with younger age groups, you're, you're usually your, your aim is you're, you're really wanting to acquaint them with the Bible. You want them to know what the Bible is about and what the Bible um, teaches us about God and all these sort of things. And you're probably going to focus a lot on the histories that the Bible gives us, whether that's Old Testament histories or New Testament histories and the Gospels and, and what have you. Um, that's probably going to be a lot of the focus um, in those sort of settings. And so, again, that, that setting is going to do a lot to sort of help determine um, what it is that you're going to teach. All right, so now we're getting ready to get to the passage, and we need to have certain study tools, certain things that we're going to use that are going to help us. And this is a, a pretty simple and a pretty basic um, list. Um, you're going to say, if this is all you need, then why do you have all that library? Um, this is not this is not all I need, but you know this is what all that most people need. You might say, but no, um, this is just just again simple. Um, I, I like eSword. It, it's a it's a free program. Um, you can download it on your computer if you if you're computer savvy, and if you're not, that's fine. But if you're computer savvy and you you want a program then you, you're going to get some basic things there, so some basic dictionaries and commentaries and in concordance. Esword, you're going to be able to look up. You can search the whole Bible for a word, and you can find every verse that that word is in, and, and you can find, plus you can copy and paste out of Esword if you're putting a lesson together. Um, pr, you know, pretty good tools. Typically, when, when, I do, uh, when I do my sermon notes, I will copy and paste out of Esword the passages that are somewhere else, you know. So if I'm, uh, I'm in Mark and then I'm wanting to, to quote from Jeremiah, then I'm going to, you know, pull that out and I'll just paste it right into my notes kind of thing. So um, Esword has a lot of different uses and, and just free, basic free package. There are things you can pay for if you want to, but, and it's pretty easy to use. There are some other free like um, Olive Tree Bible Software, which I have that as well. And there's, there's some, a lot of free tools with it. Logos Bible Software also have that. A lot of free tools with that as well. Uh, Logos is probably the most difficult to use. Um, Olive Tree being probably in the middle. And then eSword, I think, is just the easiest. So there are others. Um, I, I've just uh, mainly used eSword. So um, you need a, I mean, having a good study Bible is a help. That's got, got some notes. Um, that's got some cross-references, um, usually a, a fairly light concordance, but can be a helpful concordance. Um, there are tons of study Bibles. Uh, I have a whole bunch of them, but probably just the best single study Bible for general use, I, I think, is the MacArthur Study Bible. Um, I don't know how well you can, you can see that, but that's just a, a picture of it there. Um, you're going to get, one thing good about the MacArthur Study Bible, you're going to get um, you'll get some good information in terms of, of books at the beginning of books, what the books are about, and that sort of thing. Uh, another thing that you would need is just a Bible dictionary. Um, there are lots of those, um, and, and lots of them are, are very good and have different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, this is the new Bible dictionary. Um, it, I, I like it. It's pretty good. I, I use a bunch of them, actually. So, um, But just a Bible dictionary. Um, Something else that's helpful is like a single volume commentary on the whole Bible so that you can just see a, a few notes. Uh, MacArthur Bible Commentary is probably going to be my top recommendation. Next would probably be the Moody Bible Commentary. There's a single volume commentary. It's also very good. Uh, MacArthur Bible Commentary, one of the great benefits about it is that each book is going to have a book introduction and an overview at the beginning of the commentary That that's very, very helpful. Um, when you start to study a passage, you're going to want to read the, uh, an overview of that book. And MacArthur Commentary is going to point out um, key words um, that, that are used in that book, key doctrines, just various things like that. Um, so that's very helpful. And then when you're looking at the passage itself, you can get some brief uh, commentary, you know, so you're not having to try to read pages and pages and pages of, of commentary on, on a verse. So um, a good single volume commentary 
And particularly when it comes to the Gospels, this is sort of like a harmony of the Gospels, but it's more than that. It's also commentary. Uh, this is The Words and Works of Jesus Christ by J. Dwight Pentecost. And um, it, it's, it's going to harmonize the Gospel accounts. So when you see an account, it'll tell you, you know, that this, is, this account's in Matthew such and such and Mark such and such and Luke such and such or John or whatever. So it's going to sort of harmonize and put it kind of in chronological order. Um, even though that's not perfect, um, but it's, it's going to do that. But it's also going to give some commentary, and it's also going to give some background. So uh, it's going to quote from some of the Jewish sources to give you some of the background of, of things in the, in the day and, and such like that. So th- those, are just a f- those are just a few basic things. Again, this, this might be a little bit more optional, but, but you know, teaching in, in the Gospels, it is very, very helpful to have. And I realize some of it's probably going to go deeper and further than, than what you want to, but it's, it's, it's very, very helpful. All right, so when it comes to studying a passage, um, I'm going to recommend what's known as the inductive Bible study method. All right, so there's three steps to the inductive Bible study method. Does anybody know what they are? Okay, well... Observation, interpretation, and application. Um, That's generally the format that I use on our Wednesday night Bible studies. Observation, interpretation, application. And and it is a very good uh, and helpful approach when you're looking at um, a passage of the Bible. So when you're looking at at observation, you're looking at things like the genre of of the literature. So... um, why, why is the Bible's genre, why is that important? Well, either no one knows or no one wants to talk. It's, when I'm talking about genre, I'm just talking about what type of, of literature is this. So is it a historical narrative like Genesis? Is it... Um, poetry like Psalms? Is it um, historical narrative like the Gospels or like something uh, like parables in the Gospels would be another? Is it um, an epistle, a letter? Is it, inst- is it instructive? Is it, you know, what is it? So it's just the type of writing that it is. And, and the reason why that's important to understand is because that obviously is your very first clue or or guide into how you're going to interpret this passage because if it's a parable that you're looking at then you are you are going to read it differently than if it's just a straight historical account if it's uh, a poetry if it's a psalm that you're looking at that's going to be different as well and so uh, that is important so observation is just things like understanding the genre of of the bible literature that you're working in um, things like the, the setting of the passage, the, the context of the passage, you know, where, where, when did this take place, where, did, you know, did it take place, um, who is involved, you know, what. And, and then the last is what I'm going to break down into literal action. And literal action just is just like what it sounds. What is literally happening in this passage? So if it's like a historical narrative, for instance, then what, what's literally happening in this passage? And then you also want to, to figure out uh, things like significant action. Like some, some, you know, the Bible's not written so that, you know, everything has some sort of symbolic and hidden meaning. So what, what, is, what is significant about this action? Um, if it's something involving a boat, you know, is the boat significant or is that just merely sort of um, there because they're on the water and they're fishing, you know? So you've got to figure out what's literally going on in, in the passage and what is significant um, and what isn't, in a sense, what is more or less just setting. Um, so then you go on next to interpretation and once you've once you've figured out all the the observational material of the passage you need interpretation like what is this passage teaching right so when you're talking about 
genre, for instance, and you're saying historical narrative, what's that mean? What that means is, is that the Bible is God's revelation. And so the, the genre is how that revelation is being communicated. So if it's historical narrative, then that means that God is revealing through this historical account. So it, it's still revelation. It's still teaching us something. There, there's a reason it's in the Bible, and there's a reason in this account why it's given the way that it is. And obviously, a historical account, there's going to be details that are given. There's going to be things that are not given. Um, why are these particular things given? How is it structured? All, all that sort of thing. So you're, you're looking at the teaching of the passage. What is, what is this passage teaching? What's it teaching What's it, is, what's it teaching about God? What's it revealing about Christ? What's it revealing uh, about man? What's it revealing about sin? What's it, you know, just on and on, all these different aspects of, of theology. And this is where you get what I call the essential action, which is, which is the essence. So you've got the literal action of just what's literally happening, but you've got the essential action of what does it mean? Uh, you have a, you have a, um, a case of a healing um, by Jesus, but but what does this healing mean? You know, so he, he heals a blind man. Uh, and, and a good case uh, example would be um, the blind man when, when we were looking at uh, that section of, of Mark and that discipleship um, series that we did. And we went through a, f- uh, a couple of chapters of, of Mark and starts out with this healing of this blind man. And so, well, the, the blind man is healed, but, but what was the essential action of that? Obviously, um, the fact that the disciples um, were blind to many things that they needed to see. They needed to have their eyes open to be able to see, and, and Jesus does that as you walk through those events that unfold from there. So it's that, that's what I'm referring to when I say essential action. And in the next part of the inductive study is that of application. And really, you can't, you can't really skip these steps. I mean, you, you've got to, you got to know what the material is, what it, what's literally there, then you've got to know what is essential, what, what, is it, what is it teaching, what does it mean, and then you're able to figure out what the application is and to see the application, ways that the text speaks to us today and ways that the text speaks to different hearers um, today. Um, so all, all those sort of considerations are part of the application. All right, so that's the study of the passage itself. And then we go to the next step, which is to prepare the lesson. All right, so you've, you've, by this point, you should have amassed a lot of material. And people are, are very different um, in, in the ways that they go about this. Um, some guys I've seen, they're, they're so very orderly and neat, and all of their, all of their notes are, are so precise, and all of this, and I just wonder how in the world can you work like that. Um, mine is um, generally pretty much all over the place, and I've got lines and, and markings and, and words going sideways and whatever, just stuff written all over the place, and then, then out of all that chaos, I've got to bring a lesson together, but uh, I don't know. It just seems like I have to go through that process. Others can do things very neat and orderly. So th- whatever, you know, whatever way you work, um, that's, that's fine. But you've, you've amassed all this information, but now you've got to distill it down because everything that you've studied and, and learned about this passage is not necessarily going to be a part of your, of your lesson. And don't, and don't, you know, don't be afraid to, to, you know, you want to focus because you want to be, you want to be clear. I had a uh, a presentation that I had to do in, in college. Always hated doing presentations. Absolutely despised it. Had to do a presentation in college. And so I, I was um, just sort of, I was just uber prepared. And so I go in and I do this presentation and the professor, I mean, he's just, oh, wow. And, you know, he used all, I used these slides and all this, all this stuff. And, uh, and he was, oh, that was so good. That's so good, whatever. And, and then he gives me the grade and the grade wasn't so good. And I said, well, I thought you liked this. He said, your presentation was great. He said, the problem was you were only supposed to go 15 minutes. And he said, you didn't properly edit your material, so you, you get marked way down. I'm like, whoa, I lose a letter grade because of this, you know. But he had told us beforehand, you know, don't go over. You prepare this. And so he said, you've got to edit, you know, down to your time. So, but anyway, really, 
you know, don't, you know, you don't want to be afraid of that. You want, you want to focus because you, because you want your teaching to be clear. And uh, if, you, if you don't do that, you know, then you get too much stuff in there. So here we go to prepare the lesson. And once again, a three-step method. How about that? So when you're preparing your lesson, you're going to lead into the, into the passage in some way. There's some sort of introductory material. You're going to explain the passage, and then you're going to apply the passage. Now, these steps are not necessarily in that order, but let's, let's just look at each of them. So when we're talking about leading in, um, we're talking about how that you're starting this lesson. So uh, like in the, the first lesson, you know, I started with that question about the fear of public speaking and, and whatever. Um, so you can use questions. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can lead into a passage. You can use questions, um, something that's going to be relevant, you know, to the point of the lesson, um, something that maybe is going to, again, it's, everybody's going to be able to identify with it. Maybe it'll get them to think. Um, maybe you could lead in with questions that, you're go- that the lesson is going to answer, but you don't, you don't answer it. You, know, you just bring those questions up, and you, know, you pique interest and raise curiosity, and then you're going to answer those questions later. You can begin with illustrations. Um, these can be um, illustrations of something in the Bible that illustrates whatever, whatever it is. Um, this can be uh, historical illustrations, um, what have you. Um, all sorts of things can work there. And also applications. So when you've worked through all of this material and, you, and you've, you've done the work to figure out you know, what this passage means and, and how that it, what it's saying to us, well, a lot of times you can take that application and you can sort of work it into a way to introduce it. So um, you can sort of turn that into a, into a question, for instance. And, uh, and that can be a very good lead-in because right away you're, you're sort of piquing people's interest, but you're, but you're also letting them know like immediately what, what's going to be in this for them, what they're going to hear or what they're going to learn or what problem that they have that, that this may solve or speak to. So those are a number of ways that you can sort of lead into your study and, you know, you know engage with the class. Um, second, you need to explain the passage. So, again, the Bible, you know, is the substance. The Bible is what you're teaching. So you, you want to clearly communicate that literal and essential action of the passage. What is, what's going on there and, um, and what it means. And then you want to apply the passage. That's, this is where you bring that text to today. What, is this, what does this mean for us today? And, and you don't have to, again, you don't have to do this as a, you know, explain the passage and then, okay, now we're going to make applications. You, you can actually weave those in during your explanation, um, and sometimes maybe uh, and save maybe save something you know at at the end to tie things together. But you know, you don't have to like only go in, in sort of this sequential order in in teaching this. But these are all things that um, you want to do. So. Um, Again, in your application, you're thinking about things like, you know, what is this? What is it, so? What is this passage saying to a lost person? What is this passage saying to, um, you know, this young person? What what is it saying to uh, married people? What is it saying to unmarried people? What's it saying to you know? Is there something? And and not there's not necessarily something that specific in every passage. So I'm not saying you want to try to force that in there, but but you can sort of just sort of run down that sort of think about different people, different people in the class, their different life situations, and you can run through and say, is there something in this passage that, that does speak specifically to them? And it's uh, sometimes, you know, you can think about maybe, you know, what if you're having visitors or, or what have you. Okay, um, so as you're, as you're going through this process, you know, you're, you'll have ideas at, at different times, like for instance, sometimes when you, you start to study a passage, you're going to have ideas immediately about ways that that passage applies. And that's perfectly fine. Um, and, and, you know, don't be afraid to, to write that down. But you always realize you might not be right. 
And so you've got to be willing to revise that and to change it. You know, it, it, you know, you got in your mind, boy, this passage is really going to speak to this. And then when you, you study it out and you realize this passage really don't speak to that. Well, don't try to make it, you know, just just either go to another passage that does speak to that or or, you know, just stick with what that passage does speak to. You know, that's that's how you want to do that. You'll have those ideas. Sometimes you might have ideas of, of maybe certain doctrine or teaching you think's in a passage. And again, you, you don't be afraid to write those things down at any step in the process, but you're always going to revise. Like sometimes I, I will start myself, I'll start out, and I'll sort of have an idea of what I think this main point in this passage is going to be. And as I work through it, I realize that's actually not the main point of, of this passage. So, you know, again, I don't want to try to make it be. I, I want to I I make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm understanding and communicating what is there. All right, so to end, I wanted to just sort of go through a sample exercise, and hopefully this will be in some way helpful. So here's a passage from Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Uh, This is the calling of uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. So let's see if I can. All right, so you're going, to, you're going to study the passage. First of all, remember your steps, observation, interpretation, application. So let's just, let's just, sort, of, let's just sort of work through some of this. Now, obviously, um, one of the things that I like to do is I will print out the passage that I'm going to be working on on a piece of paper so that I can, can mark it all up, and sometimes I use different color pens, different color highlighters, whatever, um, that I'll, you know, and usually those different colors will mean different things um, that I'm, you know, making a note about. And so, you know, you can, you can, you know, copy the page out of your Bible uh, on the copier downstairs. You want to do that, or, or you can print it out if you've got eSword or the ability to do that. You can print it out, but I, I like to start with that, with something that I can mark up. A lot of the times now, I, I don't do that as much anymore because I have, um, these little scripture notebooks. Now, I didn't put that on the on the tools, but basically you can buy these notebooks that are pretty cheap, and it'll be one book of the Bible. And so on the left-hand side of the page, when you open it up, it'll be the Bible text. And then on the right-hand side of the page, it's just blank. And so you can make your own notes and draw on it. And they're pretty cheap. And I use those. I started using those a few years ago, and uh, I use them all the time now. Uh, I, but I used to print all that stuff off and, uh, you know, mark it up. But I, just, I don't do that as much anymore. So you want to get the you want to get the passage, um, and you're so you're you're going to start you're going to start thinking about setting um, your observations. So you know what's going on here. Well, um, I don't have it on the screen, but but like if you go back up, you know verses fourteen and fifteen, um, Mark tells you that Jesus had had come into Galilee, and so this is the start of Jesus' public ministry there in fourteen and fifteen. And of course, you can see. Um, you know, you've got the, the Sea of Galilee right there, and he talks about Jesus coming into the region of Galilee. So as, as you study this out, you know, you'll, you'll know, that, okay, so this is, about a, this is about a year after Jesus' baptism and his, and his temptation. Uh, this is he's starting his public ministry, starting the Galilee ministry. Uh, Mark even makes a note there that John was put into prison, so you know this is after that John was in prison. So you know right away that, that Mark is, is sort of skipping a lot of stuff um, and going into the second year of Jesus' ministry very early in, in Mark chapter number 1. Uh, in verses 14 and 15, he mentions that Jesus came in preaching the gospel. The uh, time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Uh, repent and believe the gospel. And so the very next um, instance that we get is right here in verses 16 to 20. All right, so you can see, again, you've got... Um, the Sea of Galilee there, and so you can you can look up in a Bible dictionary uh, and learn about Galilee. Um, there there are also books that are um, background books, like Bible background books, um, cultural background things. They can give you those, a lot of information too. So you're gonna you're gonna find out about Galilee and the the region of Galilee. Sea of Galilee that's mentioned here um, was a large is a large freshwater lake. 
Um, it's called the Lake of Gennesaret in Luke 5.1, and you'll, you'll do that when you run some cross-references. You can find those sort of things. If you look it up in a dictionary, it's going to tell you those sort of things. Or the Sea of Tiberias uh, is about six or seven miles wide, 13, 14 miles long. It's in the northeastern part of Galilee, and so you may or may not, if you have visual aids, you could throw up a map of, of uh, Israel. So if you're looking at, at Israel, this is going to be... Um, toward the north um, part of Israel, the Sea of Galilee, and then you'll, you'll see down south, south below that will be where the Dead Sea is, uh, and a little bit west of that uh, is where Jerusalem is. And so this is north, this is the northwest um, side of Galilee. Um, Andrew, and he mentions um, Simon, which is Peter, and Andrew, and that they are brothers um, and they were, when you look into them, you know that they were from the area of, of Capernaum there. So he's northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, he's telling you that um, they, were, they were fishermen, which means that's how that they got their living. Uh, they were casting a net into the sea, which meant that they were standing on the shore. They're using a cast net into the, into the shallows. Um, during this time, um, you go on into um, the passage, and you know Jesus he speaks to them, um, tells them to to come after him, to follow him. And uh, if you're looking into some background information, you may come across the fact that um, Jewish rabbis uh, did not tend to go looking for disciples. This is actually something very unusual that Jesus is doing. Jewish rabbis um, would be sought out by disciples. They would want to learn under a certain rabbi, and so they would seek out that teacher, and then they would sort of come under their yoke to learn from them. So uh, you look into the background, so immediately you know that what Jesus is doing here is, is something um, unusual, and he calls them to... to um, to follow him, and he says he's going to make them fishers of men. So you're just you're just observing things at this point, um, and then we see that then we see this word straightway. This is from reading your intro to Mark. You're going to you're going to realize that this is a a key word in Mark. He uses that immediately a lot of way a lot of times. So they you know they forsook their nets. They followed him. Um, you're just Again, you're just making observations here. And then it tells us that he, he went on a little further. He's still on the, the, that shore. He comes to James and John and their brothers. Um, their father's name is Zebedee. Um, it says they were mending their nets. Uh, and I think when you compare some of the other places where this account is, like in Luke 5, they had actually been fishing all night. Um, before this, so they're mending their nets. That means that they are uh, cleaning, repairing, um, doing what have you. Again, uh, they were also um, fishermen. Um, and so Jesus, it says that, again, we see that he called them, which means that he um, no doubt said the same thing that he said to uh, Peter and Andrew, and says they left says they left their father um, Zebedee and the ship with his servants and they went after Jesus. So they followed him immediately as well, leaving things behind. All right, so that is, you're just going through making observations. So what, what did you learn? Well, you looked at the setting uh, the region of Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. Again, those are things you can look up in the Bible dictionary. The commentary uh, will have a little bit of information. Obviously, there's a lot of references throughout. Um, you've got the people that are involved in uh, Jesus. You've got Simon and Andrew that are brothers. You've got James and John that are brothers. Zebedee is their father. And also, his ser- their uh, servants of Zebedee are mentioned um, the action in the passage, these brothers are in, engaged in fishing-related activities. That's their livelihood. Um, Jesus walks by. He calls them to follow him. All right, so that's just sort of a round going through the passage and making observations. All right, so now we come back, and now we're thinking along the lines of interpretation. So what is being taught in this passage? What is it that we are 
that we are learning. Uh, let me see. Let me find. All right. Um, so if you think back again um, to just prior to this, verses 14 and 15, um, Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's announcing that the kingdom is at hand. Uh, it tells us something important about Jesus' ministry. He's, he's teaching to repent and to believe. Um, now, when you look at um, verse 17, you can see that Mark draws attention to, th- to two things that are emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ. So Jesus spoke. It's not a, maybe not a very good color. Something a little darker. Jesus spoke, um, instructed them to come after him, and then he also said that he would make them to become fishers of men. So he's emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ. This, this is picking up on a theme that comes throughout the Old Testament, God speaking and making. God speaking and making. So uh, you could go to a passage like Psalm 33 and verse 9 where it talks about God speaking and it was so. God, God making and it was so. So as, as Jesus, he speaks to them and he's going to make them to become something. Now, again, from studying your overview of Mark, you're going to know that Mark puts a heavy emphasis on the words of Jesus, Jesus speaking and the power with which he spoke and the power um, and authority that was in his voice. And so you'll find this, in fact, the very next episode um, that begins in verse 21, goes through verse 28, has to do with Jesus speaking and the people being amazed um, by the words and the power um, that he speaks with. He says that he's going to make them to become fishers of men. Now, looking at your cross-references, you may, you may figure out that that's actually an image that four different prophets in the Old Testament use, fishing for men in relation to Israel. Um, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and I think uh, maybe Habakkuk or Haggai, they, they use this image of fishing for men. But if you go back and look at those places, you're going to find all of those mean judgment. So, you know, obviously Jesus is using a common image that comes from the prophets, but, you know, how is he using that? What is he, what is he meaning by that? And, you know, that's, that may or may not be something that you want to get into and, and investigate because it could certainly, um, could, could certainly lead you <laughs> down quite a path. Um, but nevertheless, by using this imagery um, from the prophets, he had just announced that the kingdom was at hand, and now he's calling out these to follow him. He's going to make them to become fishers of men. I believe it does indicate that um, they, there's something of a contrast here. could be a subtle hint at um, the judgment that's going to come on them for rejecting that message. So you wanna, you're keeping on um, moving on. Um, the fact that, that they forsook and followed um, John and James left their father in the ship with the servants and went after Jesus. Um, obviously, um, this account is teaching us something of the cost of discipleship. Uh, these men are just up and leaving their livelihood behind. And so, um, as you as you you know you look at the passage, you you start out hearing it was it's he that walked and he saw Simon and of course right back up in verse 14 it speaks of Jesus coming into Galilee and then Mark's continuing on he um, and then of course here you know Jesus said unto them um, come and I I will make you they followed him when he had gone on a little further um, he saw James and John his brother who was in the ship he called them um and they went after him. So when you're just looking at the way that Mark is reporting this, Jesus is obviously the focus. So in our first um, uh, preaching seminar that we did, uh, I used this passage as an exercise, and I asked a room full of preachers to um, work together and to come up with um, points for preaching a sermon. And they didn't get very long, and I did spring it on them, so... 
But all of their points had to do with the disciples. All their points had to do with the fact that, well, they left all and, and followed Jesus, and they left the boats behind, and they, they, they were called to come do this, and they were there. And I, I just simply asked them, I said, well, what about Jesus? And everybody groans. Oh. So, what, obviously, this is a gospel, okay? So it's about Jesus. He, he's telling us something. There, there's something to be said about Jesus. That's the main point in what we're looking at. So these are the sort of things you, 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 know, you want to pick up on. So what is this passage saying about Christ? Well, obviously the way that Mark is telling this, Jesus is the central focus. Um, in other words, he's, he's, if we're reading Mark's account, you think about getting this, and you're getting this for the first time, and you're, you're reading this in that day. Mark is, is wanting to incite in us the kind of wonder at what, what manner of man is this that speaks this way? that goes around to men that are engaged in their livelihood, their employment, and simply tells them, eh, just leave all that behind and you come, come follow me. And they did. So what's that telling us about Jesus? What kind of man is this? And in fact, actually when you go um, in the next passage, you, you actually have the people that are literally wondering, what manner of man is this that speaks, and, that speaks like this, that speaks with such authority and, and so on? All right, so um, as you continue working on, obviously the, the cost of discipleship, um, it, is, it is coming out here. Uh, you notice that he talks about how that they, they left their father um, and, uh, with the servants, and then they went after Jesus um, and, and followed him. Um, so obviously, you know, there, there is a cost of, of discipleship here. Um, so um, Mark is focusing on the deity of Jesus Christ as he's, he's giving um, various references to imagery from even from the Old Testament, things spoken about God that he speaks and he creates. He speaks with power. He creates, you know, what, what he speaks. He makes something new, um, and he's inviting to wander. So when Jesus um, commands an unclean spirit in the next episode to come out, that's exactly what the people wonder in Mark's account. How, what kind of man is this that can, that can just command a demon with his voice and the demon obeys? So, in other words, that gives us a clue about what this passage is teaching us. So, interpretation. What, what did we see as, as primary in this passage? Well, we saw the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, that he, he calls and he makes. Uh, he speaks with power and creative power just like God. Um, inciting wonder in the manner of man that calls and commands other men to follow, and they do. And also, we do see that message of the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. All right, so continuing on then, we come to our, whoops, our, yes, application. So, application, what, what sort of things uh, do we see in this passage that are speaking to us today, speaking to our audience. And again, as you work through this, not everything is necessarily going to be something that you're going to bring out in a lesson, again, depending on the, the class and, and, and the occasion and all that sort of thing. Um, so, obviously, as we, as we look at, at application, um, the fact that, uh, you know, Peter and, and Andrew, they were fishermen, they're engaged in their business. Um, we have James and John that's also in the ship, mending their nets. They're fishermen. They're engaged in this business. And then we get both sets of brothers immediately forsaking and following Jesus and immediately calling. They left their father and they went after him. So obviously that, that is a, a point of application, that there's a cost of discipleship and that um, it's, it's heightened by this sense of, of you know, leaving. Um, so when we go to think about that application, Jesus called... And we, we realize that Jesus is here calling apostles. And he's calling them 
to specific kingdom-related ministry, all right? So he's calling men that are going to receive revelation, and they're going to be responsible for stewarding that revelation and, and committing it to the generations to follow, and even to us today. He's calling men that are specifically chosen to stay with him, go with him everywhere, to be eyewitnesses to his life, his death, and his resurrection, including all of his miracles and all of his teaching, and they're going to be responsible for giving us that account. Um, And he's also calling men that are going to be calling that generation of Israel to whom the Messiah came, they're going to be calling that generation of Israel to repentance and to their Messiah. So when we think about that and the calling of those apostles, we realize that, do, that, doesn't, that doesn't translate. Like we are, we are downstream, way downstream from apostles. We're, we're not apostles. We're not eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and death. We're not receiving revelation and you know, communicating that to the next generation. And we're not calling that generation of Israel to whom the Messiah came to repentance. That generation is long since gone. So in other words, we, we have to understand... We're not apostles, but Jesus is calling us to follow him. He does call us to follow him. And you can think about other passages, um, you know, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, you know, uh, take my yoke upon you. Um, Other passages where he says, you know, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So there is applicability here. We just have to understand how that this applies. Again, because we're not, we're not being called to be apostles the way that, that these men were called to be apostles. We are called to follow Jesus. And in fact, we're, we're more called to follow Jesus the way that that happens in Mark 5 um, much later. But, but nevertheless, so Jesus is calling us to follow him. And what does that mean? Well, it obviously does, does mean that there's an evangelistic call that goes out to repent and to believe in Jesus. This is the Son of God. And he, he speaks with authority, and he commands and says, you know, come after me. We're called to follow him. We're called to walk according to his word. That doesn't mean literally walking around Israel on, on foot, but that means walking according to his word. Um, and we are called to count the cost because there is a cost of following Jesus. And, and you can think about, you know, there's various verses that you could pull in um, that make those kind of applications. All right, so that's just a sample uh, of working through a, a passage using that three-step inductive um, study method. Any questions about anything we've talked about here in this lesson tonight? Well, one benefit that I had was that I, I had preached through the Gospel of Mark um, before I went to that to that seminar, and I did not say that either before I actually studied that passage out. Like, I mean, I missed it all the same way that room full of preachers missed it when I asked them those questions. You know, I'd missed it the same way when I first came to that passage. But obviously, you know, studying it out, studying Mark in context and what he's what all he's teaching. You know, he's obviously showing us the deity of Christ in numerous ways as you work through the gospel. So, yeah, I was, I was right there with you. Right. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, um, when, you, when you study out in the Gospels, you put it together, it was not the first time that he had seen him. Um, because when you, when you look at that in the account in John earlier, you know, he, he had seen them earlier um, than that. And then at that point, he called them to follow him. So, yeah, they, they knew who Jesus was at that point, uh, or at least, you know, had had some interaction with him. But again, you know, just and just like going back into Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and all of these other things, you know, you do have to, you do have to, again, you have to focus. You know, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to communicate 
you know, what is my message that I need to communicate, you know, to the class? And, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you can almost sort of endlessly chase rabbits, um, you know, in different ways, but trying to come back to the main point. And, and I think, you know, what's Mark's main point in, in this passage? And I really do believe that it's, it's showing us the deity of Christ. It's showing us, it's showing us the calling of the apostles. I mean, obviously that is major because from that time forward, they're with him. You know, so they're they're from that second year of ministry. You know, they're with him through the crucifixion and resurrection. So, all those things are being laid there. But you do have to guard against it. I mean, I think, I think uh, that, you know, just trying to just trying to focus, you know, and and realize that you're probably going to have a whole lot more information than you can really bring across. And if you try to bring across too much, then you're just going to muddle the situation you know everybody's gonna gonna really not get anything from it or at least not what they should all right anything else mm-hmm <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That is so true.